Have you ever wondered what goes on behind the table at a dance competition? Exactly what are the judges looking for anyway? This is Making the Impact, a dance competition podcast. Each week, we'll cover a different topic related to the world of competitive dance from the perspective of the judges behind the table. Sophia Lucia has lived many lives in her short 18 years, from YouTube sensation to TV star to Guinness Book of World Records title holder. And she's not done yet. On this spotlight episode of Making the Impact, a dance competition podcast, we sit down for a chat with Sophia and get the inside scoop on her past as well as her future. Hey everyone, welcome to Making the Impact, a dance competition podcast. I'm your host, Courtney Ortiz, and I'm here with my co-host, Leslie Mueller. Hello, friends. I hope that everyone is having a wonderful start to your new year. I know that I'm very happy to have 2020 behind us, and I'm very excited to see what the future holds for us all this year. So welcome to 2021, everyone. This week's episode is our third Spotlight feature episode of season two, where we sit down with all different types of guests who are in the dance industry who we feel are making the impact in the competitive dance world. And today we have a very special guest that I'm sure so many of you know of, and I cannot wait to get to know her even more so soon. But before we jump into the episode, we always have some fun announcements to share with everyone out there. So first up is IDA's virtual competition. We just wrapped our current solo only virtual competition, which was a huge success. We had so many dancers to participate all around the world. So thank you to everyone who entered. I hope that you enjoyed the experience. There was fantastic talent. Our judges really enjoyed uh, the experience and to provide everyone with such great feedback that hopefully will help you prep before the live competition season hits this year. So thank you to everyone who tuned in to the live stream that just happened. And if you want to see any of the winners, go to our website now or our social media to view some of the footage. And we also have some more virtual competitions coming your way this winter and spring. And we're even going to be including some group competitions in the mix. So head over to our website at impactdanceadjudicators.com slash virtual competition and check out all of the upcoming dates now. And we have some other exciting news that I'm super pumped about. We've been talking about this for a while, but we have officially launched a Facebook group for the podcast. It's called Making the Impact, a dance competition podcast community, and all of our podcast fans are welcome to join. It'll be a place for you to stay up to date with new releases. We're going to post fun questions in the group about the competitive dance world. You can connect with other fans from across the world and send over questions to us straight in the group. It'll just be a very interactive place to talk about dance. We're also going to be sharing fun promos from our sponsors, as well as hosting the occasional Q&A with an IDA judge, where one of the judges on the roster will take over the group for the day and answer all of your questions. We will be moderating who's allowed in the group, so you're going to have to answer a handful of questions regarding the podcast, the dance industry before you're being approved, because we want everybody to feel safe and comfortable in our podcast group. So we hope this will be a really fun way to interact with our fans more directly and for you to connect with others in the competitive dance world all over the world. So head over to Facebook, search for our new group. It's called Making the Impact, a dance competition podcast community. And we're also going to put a link in our show notes. And we're excited for you to join us. Yeah, please, 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 please go check that out on Facebook. We're really excited about that new feature to add to the podcast world. So welcome to the Facebook group, y'all. And 
I want to just give a shout out to all the dance parents and dancers out there who are listening because I'm sure that you all love buying new dancewear to rock in class or at conventions. And our episode sponsor, Purple Pixies, is the perfect brand to add to your dancewear collection. I just received my very first pair of Purple Pixies leggings and I absolutely love them. The quality of their products is so well made and it's so perfect to dance in. They have so much variety to offer from sports bras to booty shorts to leggings and leotards with super fun colors and patterns that you can mix and match. I love my Purple Pixies dancewear and I know you will too. So head over to purplepixies.net and use our exclusive promo code IDA15 in all caps at checkout to receive 15% off your order. Thank you to all of our fabulous season two sponsors for supporting our podcast. All right, dance listeners, it's time to meet our Spotlight Feature guest. I'm sure many of you are familiar with this young dance superstar, whether it's from her time on Dance Moms, Dancing with the Stars, or being the lead in Hallmark's A Nutcracker Christmas. Or maybe you even own some of her dancewear or Capizio Turners. She is a gold medal winner from the Varna International Ballet Competition, and she still currently holds the world record for most consecutive pirouettes, which, by the way, that's 55 pirouettes. Oh my goodness. Wow. I am so excited to welcome Sophia Lucia to the podcast. Hello. Uh, Hi, guys. I'm so excited to be here. Yay. We're so excited to have you, and thank you so much for sitting down and chatting with us. I can't wait to hear all about your dance journey so far at such a young age. At 18 already, you've done so much. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, it's been absolutely crazy. My childhood was wild, and I've done so much in the dance world, and I feel like I've kind of been through it all. So it's been really interesting to kind of look back and experience it all over again and talk about it and just kind of relive it. So it's been great. Awesome. Well, we're really excited. So. You want to jump on in, Leslie? Yeah. I mean, sometimes our questions like take a turn immediately. And I, you mentioned something just now that made me have a question. So you said it's been interesting to like look back at your childhood. And what's crazy is that like you really can because you grew up in an era where like you're on YouTube, you're on television, you're on DVDs, you're on you're, you're everywhere. Like and you have the ability to look at that. Whereas Courtney and I have a VHS tape. Maybe. <laughs> if we're lucky. Maybe. Uh, (laughs) what's a VHS tape right like what even what even is that so I'm I'm just so curious like like what's the first thing that you saw on the internet of yourself and you're like wait that's me oh god um (laughs) I think the most traumatizing one because I think in general people will play things and I'll have to watch it at either like seminars or dance to your Q&As or, or just videos in general and not like a performance or whatever just to get the crowd like almost hype I guess you could say but the one video that I just cannot watch that makes me so scared the fact that it's me is my very first like scene that I have in dance hall that just makes me want to like go in a room and cry <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> So I think that's when I'm like, oh, gosh, that's me. Like, oh, no, <laughs> um, that's the only thing. But I mean, like, if you're asking me, like, actual dancing wise, maybe the Guinness World Record video, like, leading up to it, not just even the official record video, but the video that went viral when I first did 40 pirouettes, when I first broke the record for the very first time, or when I was, like, 
eight years old doing like 29 pirouettes, like that kind of stuff. Like I don't remember it very well because I'm so young. So sometimes when people will like send me out or tag me in a story, I'm always like, me, like it's so strange. But yeah. Right. Like who is that little girl? <laughs> She's turning a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's very, very weird. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. So let's back up a little bit. So you got, you, you were famous, but like what happens before you're famous? When did you put on a pair of ballet shoes or a pair of tap shoes? And you know, what was your early training like? Oh, it was crazy. I've always trained a lot from a very young age. Both of my cousins, uh, cousins owned two different dance studios growing up. So I, you know, was born into a dance family. So as soon as I was able to walk, it was like, you're going to the studio. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think I had I had very weird drives, like especially being a teacher now and teaching students from the ages four to 17, like my dedication and my drive and just me being so determined and like so focused at like three or four, like I did my first solo when I was three and a half. Oh my gosh. And I was like, I was like singing and tapping on stage and you can see the video and I, there's, I'm not looking at anyone. Like I know the dance, like and my, my parents, like my parents, had said that I would be at the dance studio from like three and a half or four for like four hours a day which is absolutely nuts for someone that age (laughs) but I had begged my mom like if my mom tried like taking out the dance studio I'd be like no I'm in ballet so I think from a young age I always had loved it and then I was really getting a lot better at it and by the time I was seven I was dancing I think 25 hours a week and then as I got older it grew to 50 hours a week but from the age of seven and I was dancing a lot <laughs> so training training changed as in like what kind of classes I was taking or like how many competition groups I had to practice versus solos like that definitely changed as I got older I did a lot more private than I did groups or classes when I got older but hours have always been nuts <laughs> wow that's completely nuts I don't know that even as a professional dancer we were ever working that yeah, that no. kind of schedule. <laughs> I know, like even even just you saying, like at a point in time, you know, even later, you were training fifty hours a week. I mean, that's more than a full time job. Like, oh my god! And you are you no, were know. a child. <laughs> what? <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah. But yeah. You, you loved um, every minute of it. I'm assuming. I did up until a point. I think I hit a very big breaking point when I moved to Arizona, and I was training in classical ballet. Uh, 50 hours a week and it was a very toxic environment too so I just don't think I was enjoying it very much and I was dancing I was dancing seven days a week I didn't have a day off and I think if I had a day off where I could just recharge like didn't go to the dance studio didn't do anything just sat and like was a normal kid I don't think I would have grown to not like it but I think because it was like I was at like the peak of my career you could say dance career at like a very young age and I was constantly achieving all these amazing things but in the inside I just was not happy because of my training schedule it was so rough I got there every morning at 8 a.m and I left at 7 p.m like that was how it was and I I was lucky I had an hour and a half break versus an hour like I really didn't have breaks so I think that is where I got problematic and then I was just so tired of like being on the same schedule because I even I was eating the same things every single day wearing the same things with the same people like there was no change so it felt like I didn't have freedom and the same classes and all that kind of stuff. So I think for a while it was really fun and I loved it. And I loved having a challenge. Like I was, when I first went to a ballet at conservatory, I was like the worst one in classes. And I love that. Like I love it when I'm the worst right. one because I have something to like, like look forward to and achieve, obviously. 
but I was taking levels four, five, and six. So I was doing triple the amount of work to catch up um, as everyone else. So I think I just, that got very tired. That got very tiring and very hard very quickly. It's only like so long you can keep up that kind of momentum, but yeah. Yeah. Well, at that, at that conservatory, were you, I mean, did you do anything besides ballet, but was there a character class? Was there a jazz class? Like anything to break up that ballet or no? Yeah. So like it's interesting. I took, I think, one contemporary class a week on Saturdays because that's when they were offered. And I had contemporary private twice a week for my solos that I was going to have to do at like convention or performances because when I got brought out to do galas or whatever I, I still wasn't like strong enough in the ballet world for them to bring me out to do a variation or anything like that they always brought me out to do contemporary ballet so I I had privates but it was I went from doing like 40 hours a week of just strictly contemporary with a few hours of ballet here and there and tap and jazz to doing all ballet and four hours of contemporary a week like it was a big change so and like, I, I'm a, I'm a contemporary jazz tap dancer through and through like that. Like wasn't, I didn't go to that conservatory to become a ballerina. Somehow that got lost in my <laughs> team's eyes, like along the way, that was never the goal. My plan was just to go there to make my contemporary better, but it was never, it was never to become a ballerina. And so somehow that got lost. And so then I was like, everyone had rebranded me as like Sophia Lucia the ballerina. And it was like, wait, that wasn't the goal, but like, okay. And I think my ballet teacher at the time had told my mom, like, I can make her the world's, like, best ballerina that we've seen in a while. I will have every company to her in the next three years. You you bet on it. Like, and I think my mom just loved the way that sounded. My mom was very involved in my training. And I think my mom loved me as a ballet dancer for all weird reasons. And it was everyone else's opinion mattered before mine at the time. So it was, like, dance teachers convention leaders my mom like my family whatever they wanted for my career was what was happening it was never like Sophia what do you want so I kind of just had to like stick with it and been like yep I guess I'm a ballerina now but that was never the goal I don't regret it though because I loved the tutus and I loved the pas de des. I just didn't I don't know if I loved the ballet industry if that makes sense oh yeah it's a whole nother world I mean yeah. just like dance competition world is a whole nother world than concert dance and ballet like it's yeah it's a whole it's thing. very different and you got a taste of that very early. I mean, yes, majority of, of professional ballet dancers do train for that goal in like, about, you know, even earlier than what when you started, like you said, I mean, you were playing catch up once you got into the conservatory with the others who have been doing this from the beginning and don't know any different. Whereas you had this whole other dance career, you know, at such a young age in a whole different dance world, which was the competitive dance world, which you know, ballet conservatory and competitive dance, you, you don't really think those two things go together at all. And, you know, it's too, it's very, very, very different. So I can understand the burnout that you felt and experienced. Uh, absolutely. For sure. I mean, the competition dance world is so completely different. The vibe is very different at competition for jazz versus ballet competition. Like it's very different. And I had major culture shocks my first ballet competition and I just remember being like got getting to go to a convention competition in February and I was like I had trained it was I was there for eight months at this point and I was just so excited to go to a convention competition that wasn't ballet and I remember like getting all the like nostalgia and just being like oh I miss like the vibe because everything is so much more chill and like laid back and like it's just a lot more positive I think and so yeah but I mean i I did like, every competition as a kid. So I've been, I, I feel like I'm very 
very experienced in, in how competitions work. <laughs> yeah. So, I'd like to hear like, you yeah. know, about about your comp life world, pre-conservatory world. So like going backwards to that time when you were training like crazy, you know, in the in the competitive dance world. So you grew up in California, is that correct? Correct. San Diego, yes. So and you were doing solo since you were three. I mean, crazy. <laughs> I do love a good three-year-old solo, though. They're usually my favorite. Yeah. And I can only imagine what your three-year-old solo was because, like I you said. I disagree, but mine was good. <laughs> I mean, when, when they're, like, standing there and their hands on their hips and all they're doing is a knee bounce, like, I'm like, you know what? Good for you. Diamond. You, you did it. Good for you, three-year-old. <laughs> you know what? I was, if you, there's, the videos are on YouTube. They're definitely terrifying to watch, like, now, but, like, so funny. If you ever need a laugh, just go and watch those. I um, may have to check that out after. We'll link to it in the show notes for everyone who wants <laughs> a cute little Sophia Lucia H3. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, what was your time like at with with the studios that you were a part of, you know, leading up to pre-Dance Moms, pre-Guinness World mm-hmm. Record holder? You know, were you doing group routines? Were you – how many competitions were you attending a season – you know, what were your favorites? What kind of achievements did you get back then? And things like that. Okay, so this is so interesting, because I think a lot of people think that I got known in the dance world after doing Dance Moms, which is just really not true. Mm, tell because us. Because I already had made an, a name for myself in the, co- in the competition world. I was when I was, I think I started doing well in competitions at age six, like that's when I started doing a lot better. And I was undefeated from seven to 10. So that had already started circulating. And when I was nine years old, I was going to so many competitions and I was always known for the girl I could turn. So like that yeah. was, you know, that was your signature kind of thing. But competitions were so interesting when I was like, yeah, I'm a signature for sure. But it, competitions were super interesting because I had so many solos. Like I remember when I was younger, I would only do like three solos. And then as soon as I hit like seven, I had like eight solos that I would just alternate through competitions because my mom was like, you got to do different. You can't compete the same comp- solo at every competition. Like everyone's going to know because at that point, my solos, yeah, because at that point, my solos were already going on YouTube and people were watching them. I was gaining traction on YouTube and I was starting to go to convention and starting to make my name in the convention world as, as well as the competition world. I was in 36 groups one year. Well, not 36 groups. I had 36 numbers total. So I had eight solos. I had like four duos and one trio within the rest were groups. Like it was insane. So I always, always, always had a lot of numbers and a lot of things going on during competition. Like my family was obviously dance family. So very committed to it and was like, this is it. This is what you're going to do. If you're going to do something, you're going to do it 100%. And I think I just got put in all the groups. Like, it doesn't matter the age group. I think I was playing a senior group at age eight. Like, it was wild. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but I think my favorite competitions growing up were, like, CAR. They sponsored my Guinness World Record, and they have been such an amazing competition for me and just are the nicest people. Hall of Fame was amazing, and so was Showstopper. Like, those are my three top competitions of all time. And I think going to Showstoppers as a kid – and, you know, it's the competition in Disneyland. Like, everyone knows it. So everyone's so excited for it. But going to that competition specific made my dance career, honestly. Like, those videos that of me competing at Showstoppers. So at Showstoppers, they had a live stream. And my videos would go straight on YouTube. 
as soon as I was done performing at a young age. So when I was, I, I was winning at showstoppers a lot. Like I had one first there like three years in a row. So it was a very big deal. And it was my favorite competition because it was at Disneyland. And that's all I cared about at the time. I just wanted to go on the <laughs> Rightfully ride. so, rightfully. But yeah. But when I was, I think I was either eight or nine, I can't remember. I did my first contemporary solo. And it kind of made a trademark for me in the dance world because I was known as a tap dancer before that. Like all of my tap solos would always win. Everything on YouTube that went viral of mine was tap. So this was the first time that I ever really did a, a contemporary, like modern, very weird solo. And that solo ended up going viral because there's a picture of me with my leg behind my head. Because I had gotten very, I had worked on it. So I had pulled my leg behind my head in the end of the solo. And you hear everyone in the background in the video go. And I remember that video is what made me well-known before I even did TV shows and all that kind of stuff. So I really owe it to dance competitions for giving me like a sense of like a platform. It was almost like my platform that I used before Instagram and everything else came out. Like dance competitions were how people got to know each other. Yeah. Like that's where the producers of Dance Moms found me was at dance competitions and we turned down the show like 500 times. Oh, really? Um, but they, that's how they found dancers were at dance competitions. You know what? I really love hearing that story. And I, and I just feel like I have to kind of like reflect back and compare it to like my time as a comp kid, which is so different because we didn't have like, like Leslie said at the very beginning of this episode, <laughs> all of our footage is on VHS tapes. And like, we don't need, I don't even I think like my best friend actually got all of our recital videos converted from VHS to DVD and flash drives recently because we wanted to still have that footage, but it's not accessible anymore. Whereas like you, like you said, dance competitions at the time that you were growing up in them in like the 2010, 11, 12, that was when the internet was so different. It's, you know, it's booming. There's live streams now. Competitions post videos of the winners. Like, like you said, it was a perfect platform for you to gain momentum and traction in YouTube, which was also kind of new-ish. It was like booming back then, you know? So like that is, it's just so, it's so different. That is not well, and how. Like, and you didn't have to do anything. Right. You know what I mean? You like, just got to be fierce. To, like, and you just you. had to be fierce and you were videoed. I mean, like, and there's also like the, should they have done this factor of it? It's like, you know, their their business is like, well, here's all these videos and you didn't, you know, I'm sure really you have a choice. Like, okay, fine. Right. So interesting. Yeah, I love it. No, for sure. I, I even think now though, it's harder, it's harder to use dance competitions as like, quote unquote, content. Like they truly gave me like video, like I mean, competitions with videotape the solos and put them on live streams and that's that that was it like that's what that was the content that had gone out like whatever I did that day was what I got you know and now it's so different because you it's a lot harder there's live streams but people steal the live streams and they post them as their thing so now it's not my content it's not my dance it's not I don't own it so there's a it's very different now it was a lot easier in 2010 through 2014 but then Instagram really changed the whole world of dance and how people were going to get known everything like that so it definitely changed a bunch but I honestly prefer the way it was in 2010 to 2014 I feel like especially now with like TikTok being a thing and everything like you can create your own dance content and people can see it like globally but they don't know what's like real dance like there's so many dancers now that are quote-unquote well-known who are not trained 
So it's like, it's much, the competition is much broader now versus like, if you went to competition, you got your video tape, you put it on YouTube and you did well, that, that's that. Like it was a lot more simple. Yeah, that's such a good point. And so true. And I, I'm interested to go into what you kind of briefly mentioned. And I think a lot of people are, are curious about your time with Dance Moms. And I'm so, so, so happy that you kind of laid it out for the world on the podcast and let everyone know, hey, I was something before Dance Moms, y'all. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm just so happy because like you said, I think a lot, there are a lot of people that associate you and Dance Moms and that was your breakthrough. And you're kind of like, no, not really. I, I was doing a lot of great things prior to and Dance Moms came to me. So you pretty much kind of hinted at that because of your success on YouTube with a lot of your winning videos from dance competitions, that's how Dance Moms scouted you for the show. Yeah. So they didn't, when they had come to me, they had offered my family a reality show called My Crazy Dance Family. They wanted it. The Dance Moms was originally supposed to be about my family. No way. And yeah. And oh so gosh. we had said no. We were like, because my cousins, my cousins at the time who owned the two different dance studios, they didn't really like get along because their competitions were, or their studios were comp, like competitors, you know? They're, yeah. So the dance ones had come to me, they had understood our family drama. And my mom was like, I have to be on camera. And it, <laughs> and I was like, no, I just like, I had already made a name for myself a little bit in the convention and competition world. And I really wanted to be quote unquote taken seriously as a dancer. And everyone every mentor that I had that was very well known, like Mark Niesmer, um, Trevor Swallow, you name it, they told us no. They were like, that's going to, like, she's, she's young. She's nine years old. She's almost, like, she can be a, an amazing real dancer who works in the industry. Don't do it. And so we had said no. Dance moms have come on. They called my mom once a week for two years. Oh, my God. Your poor mother. <laughs> my poor mom. Yeah. She was like, you know what? You're about to break the Guinness World Record. Like, this might be good press. Like, let's just do one episode. And my mom really had that idea. I did not want to do the show. I was so against it. I was like, please, no, please, no. They're going to make me look bad. We did the show. My mom was so uncomfortable with being on camera. Like, my, if my mom was crazy, she was crazy behind the camera. Like, that's, that's, that's her thing. She never wanted anyone to, like, she just felt like it was like an invasion of privacy. Like, they would keep their mics on when they had to go to the bathroom. My mom was like, I don't even like want to go to the bathroom because I have a mic on. Like, what if they, like, we had no privacy. And so my mom just, my mom kind of knew that was what it was going to be like. And I think at the time, my mom had sat me down after we did one episode because they made us look fine because my mom didn't get involved in anything. Mom was like, I'm sorry, I'm not going to speak. Like, I'm not going to do anything. Like, this is my daughter. This is her talent. Either showcase <laughs> or don't. Like, that's how it is. <laughs> and I, my mom had, my mom had pulled me aside. She was like, is this what you want? Like this, this will change your life, but it, it's just going to be an interesting life. Like, what do you want? Like, and do you want to work in the industry or do you want to be on television as a TV star? And I was like, I want to work. Like I, I want to do dance jobs. I don't want to be on a reality TV show and not be me. And I was like, I don't want to be associated with all the drama. Like little 10-year-old me, like being so adult-like. And I, I listened to like all my dance teachers who told me not to do it. So my mom ended up pulling me out. We never signed any contracts. I was literally on the dance phone for two episodes. So that's why I think it's so interesting because people always think that that had made my career. And I'm sure even Abby thinks that I like I should owe her my career. It's very interesting. We can talk about that in a minute. Um, <laughs> but okay, great. I just like... <laughs> But Dance Moms definitely helped me a broader audience that was not dancers. Like I, before that, I had dancer 
dancer followers, dancer, whatever you want to say, subscribers, but I don't, I don't really know. And Dance Mom helped me get a broader view of people who weren't trained as dancers, who didn't dance, like that, that's where that had come in. So I think that's why, because that whole side of dance, Dance Mom's audience who aren't dancers, who are just, they don't, they don't dance, they don't know really anything about it, had started following me. And from there, that launched a whole new, like, world with Instagram that had just launched when I went on Dance Moms. I was only on Dance Moms for two episodes. So if you really look at that, like, I feel like it's very strange. My dance time on Dance Moms was very short. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't I didn't really necessarily, yeah, I didn't really love it. I don't think I could have done it for more than a few episodes. It was, it was crazy. Do you keep in touch with any of those girls still? Yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm very close with Nia and I talk to Maddie and Mackenzie all the time. I've known, I've known Kalani even before she went on the show. So I've known her for a while. And Brynn had one best dancer with me the same year. And so we had toured to break the floor before she even went on Dance Moms. The only person I, I, I tend not to keep contact with is uh, Abby. <laughs> but yeah. There you go. Gotcha. Well, <laughs> yeah. that's fair. I can only imagine how that experience was. And what season were you on? Because I don't know offhand. Season three. I would not know the episodes, but... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I judged Dance Moms season two and three, but did not judge you. Okay. I would have okay. remembered that for sure. <laughs> and yeah, it was, I mean, on, on my end as a judge, I, I mean, it's nowhere near the same as what you dancers had to experience at all and the drama involved. But yeah, that that's so interesting. And I didn't realize you only did two episodes because like you said, I mean, so many people associate your name with Dance Moms and it almost like you were a cast member and you were like, no, I just did two episodes. That's it. I was a guest artist. <laughs> yeah, you were a guest. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm very thankful for the experience. Like, I, I don't regret doing it at all, but I think I left at the right time. I mean, I don't want people to think that, like, I I don't like it when people associate, associate me with dance moms. Like, it's a job that I did, and, like, it's, it was a dance job out of the many dance moms that I had, and then that's that, you know? So I don't mind, but I, I think recently, too, it's been very interesting because I've heard from a bunch of people just weird comments about me being, like, known from dance moms, and I, I, I always want to, like, kind of defend myself in the aspect of like I trained very hard to be where I was and where I am so I think when people think that like I just got it from a tv show that is very different you know but I don't mind yeah and I think that's important that you say that because I think that that is that's probably the case for a lot of the dancers that were a part of that show at at a point in time so you know it is important to hear that from from the dancer themselves you you really worked hard they scouted you for the show. You know what I mean? So like they wouldn't have scouted you if you weren't spectacular and there was something special about you and that's why they wanted to have you on. Hey dancers, I know you have some cute and colorful dancewear in your collection, but do you have any Purple Pixies dancewear? Purple Pixies has adorable designs in a variety of styles and patterns, from leotards to sports bras and even leggings that you can mix and match. From in-studio to convention, Purple Pixies offers quality, trendy dancewear for all ages. You may even notice some of your favorite dance stars wearing this fabulous brand. Head on over to purplepixies.net to view their entire collection, and be sure to use our exclusive promo code IMPACT at checkout for 15% off your entire order. And now let's get back to the show. I'm curious to hear 
now after. So did did your life change after Dance Moms as far as your your career at such a young age? Yeah, no, for sure it did. I, the first three seasons of the Dance Moms, it wasn't cool if you were on it to the dance world. And then after season four hit, everyone started to like like dance people who had told me not to do it were obsessed with the show and obsessed with being really? friends with everyone on the show and working with the people on the show. So it was very strange because I got such backlash from my mentors who I looked up to for years doing it. And then a year later, they were like besties with the people who they told me not to work with. So it was very interesting. Dance Moms changed. Yeah. I'm the dance world. <laughs> my dance career changed tremendously in the fact of right after I was on Dance Moms, I broke a Guinness World Record. So the momentum that that had from Dance Moms, I was on, then I broke a Guinness World Record, then I was on Dance with the Stars. When I was doing all this, it just created this huge momentum of me wanting to work and do all these things. I was on Disney Channel doing Kirby Buckets. I was doing guest star links here and there. Like, so I think. When I did that show, it get, because people knew who I was when I walked into a room, whether you were a dancer or not then, it gave me the confidence to kind of flourish and do everything that I was meant to do. I think that's a good way of putting it. Because before that, I was working background on X Factor and Shake It Up and all that kind of stuff. On I was always doing background stuff, but I was never doing guest star roles or anything like that. And so after I was on Dance Moms and Book the Kids Record, I was on talk shows, I was on all these kind of things. So I think it definitely opened up like a, a door that I was always meant to go down. It just made me go down that path very quickly. Like I had everything happened in like a span of the year that we had hoped it was going to happen for and for. So the momentum after Dance Moms, I think that's what changed. So you Dance Moms, then World Record? Is that the order? So I broke the, I broke the record multiple times. I broke it on YouTube when I was like nine years old. But Guinness, like when you have to bring out Guinness World Records, there it's very expensive. It's like twenty thousand dollars. It's an insane amount. And my parents were like, "We we love you, but we're not going to pay for that." And so my managers at the time, really? yeah, so my mm, wow, very strange, right? Yeah. And so my parents really wanted to happen. They they knew it was like my like it was my goal. Like that was the only goal I had. It wasn't like what competition I wanted to win or whatever. It was like I want to break. I want to be in the book of Guinness Records. And so Kids Artistic Review, also known as Car, they had opened up their minds and wanted to sponsor me. And I had already won. I won won their national the year before. So they had sponsored the Guinness Record. And at the time, I had a clothing line. So California Kisses also stepped in and they sponsored it. And they made Guinness Record, like me to break the Guinness Record happen. Because it wouldn't have happened without them. You have to contact Guinness Records and they have to send someone from London, from the headquarters to come and they have to witness it. And normally you only have one chance to break the Guinness Record. But because of my age, they allowed me to have three. Wow. And you nailed it on the third? No, technically I have three records because I broke it all the time. Oh my God. I broke it each, but they counted counted the highest number. So that makes sense. um, Yeah. So Guinness Record was a huge deal. Because at the time, social it was it was way harder to break a Guinness World Record because social media wasn't as big as it is now. So someone had to come in from London and do that, and then from there, I broke a world record on the Rookie Lake show. So it was all everything that I did was about Guinness World Record for the next year and a half. Dancing with the Stars had featured me on an episode as a spotlight dancer of the season. So I had an entire episode dedicated to me and to the world record, and then from there, I worked as a background dancer on Dancing with the stars for the rest of the season so that Guinness record really launched so many things 
it went Dance Moms, and then I think like two months later, I broke Guinness the record because Dance Moms premiered. Is that true? No, Dance Moms premiered. I think in like October-ish. I could be very wrong. October, November, and I broke it in March. There was that whole time period where I was still working and I was traveling. I was going to Australia. Like I was in Australia like the week before I broke the Guinness World Record. I was traveling a lot as a dancer. So between Dance Moms and the Guinness World Record, a lot had happened because my life kind of had changed overnight with how many jobs and offers I was getting as to work as a professional dancer. And then from there, kind of everything had gone on. Yeah. So, so what is it? What does the training look like to break a record? I mean, are you just like doing a whole bunch of pirouette training? I mean, just walk me through what that even looks like. like. So, yeah, this is where I love telling this because people are always so shocked because it's not what they think at all. We never had the intention of being like a Guinness record holder. Like that was never why we practiced that many turns to begin with. My tap teacher, Michelle, who is, I work with her now. So it's very strange full circle. She was teaching me my tap solo that year and we had tap private three times a week. And she really wanted me to be able to do like five pirouettes in my tap shoes. So she was like, if you can do, this is when I was eight years old. She was like, if you can do 10 in practice, you can do five on stage. And then I was nailing 10 in rehearsal. She was like, all right, fine. You can do 10 on stage or if you do 10 on stage, 20 in practice. And that's how it kind of, the number would just rise. And then she was just blown away at the age of eight. I was doing 19 turns. Like it was wild. That's how the Guinness record had come about because I had, I think there's a video of me doing 28 turns at the age of eight. She was like, that is when she looked it up. So she was like, wait, I think there's a Guinness record for this. Let's look this up. And she was the one, like, she was like, you're going to break the world record. You're going to do it. And I was like, I was so young, I couldn't comprehend it. So I was like, all right, cool. <laughs> Let's and do it. And then we had just always practiced the turns. Yeah. So when I was practicing for the Guinness record, it was in the middle of my tap time. So we would spend like, I think closer to like a month before like the Guinness record happened. I was only doing like pirouettes in my tap shoes, like in all of my technique privates. It was like, you got to practice for the Guinness record. But before that, it was just like, it was just a thing to do for my tap solos for call. Like even in my jazz privates, they would be like, put your tap shoe on and let's go turn. (laughs) (laughs) It was almost like a fun thing to do just to keep everything going. But it was never like, it was never me being like, what's the Guinness record? It was like my tap teacher being like, this is, this is sick. I think you can do this. Like, <laughs> yeah. Let's make this like, happen let's for even you. Let's figure and... out what the record is. Yeah. Yeah. I really owe it to all the Michelle. So I was spending like a total of, I think the month prior to the Guinness record, I was spending like 10 hours a week just on pirouette just to make sure that I was breaking it every time. Cause there was never a time that I did not, not break it. Like that month of breaking the record every single time. And that was the goal. That was the goal. Cause like, you know, I had a lot of pressure to make sure that I broke the record that day. I had 500 people waiting in the other room at San Diego Dance Center at the time. I had my brother working a live stream, which had 300,000 people on it. Like, oh there gosh. was just so many people, like, you're A, waiting to see me. Like, I, in my mind, I was like, everyone's waiting to see me fail. Like, right, that's, right. That's what yeah, I had the pressure. I mean, oh, my gosh. I can't imagine. I can't imagine. <laughs> like, to break the record, too, it was very different from what I had practiced. And I was a person that would just be flustered if like something was off and I had to like really commit to it because I had someone like literally like this like I like right below my feet with a camera because they had to put the turns in slow motion to recount it to make sure they counted it correctly and they have the guess the record guide clicks every single time if you ever watch the video you could hear it like you could okay, hear it. so you could hear it every time and it was so annoying to me because I was always in dead silence I could hear it 
there was a camera at my foot. There was a camera at the side. Like I couldn't focus. So right. that would throw me off so much. Get oh, your yeah. clicker out of here, sir. <laughs> yeah. So the, the Guinness record guy was, the Guinness record guy was so nice to me because he let me have practice time with him before he was actually going to count it. Cause I was like, can I just hear the clicker? Cause I just need to practice with it. Cause it's going to mess with my head. So the official video that you see at car, like on car, on car TV and in my YouTube channel as well, I actually did 56 pirouettes, but because of the rules of Guinness World Record, it was counted as 55. What do they like not count the first one or something? No, no, no. So they're very strict about rules. So when I was first breaking the Guinness World Record, I was changing my position. So I was going from right. passe to coupe to arms up like that. Yep. I was doing an ice skater turn. Mm-hmm. That's not allowed. You have oh. to keep, you can't change your position. You have to hold one position. So just passe so constantly. Just passe constantly. And so if my passe came disconnected, turns didn't count. Oh, interesting. Well, see, now listen, everybody on the podcast, you got to <laughs> connect your passe. We say it every week. Sophia Lucia says it too, or it doesn't count. <laughs> Even Guinness Book knows, don't disconnect your passe. <laughs> There's always a teachable moment. <laughs> yeah. But I'm just thinking, like, how do they know what a connected posse is? Like, that guy's probably not a dancer. Like, you know, and there's no one else that holds the record. The person before me who held the record, she only did posse. And I didn't really realize that. But yeah, it's very tough. That's crazy. Wow. Yeah. I love that story. That's so cool. I don't think I've ever met anyone that's broken a a record before. So go you. And yes, shout out. I love that you've been shouting out your (laughs) tap teacher. Like, absolutely. That's just so cool. Yeah, no, see, like, I, I honestly really owe it to all my teachers because she just, like, Michelle in specific, she's the reason why I broke it. And then my dance teacher, Miss Tiffany, Tiffany King, and Rachel Sebastian. Rachel Sebastian was my head technique teacher at the time. And Rachel and Tiffany are, like, my second moms. Like, we traveled together. They basically raised me as a person, like, not just a dancer, but, like, as a person. And I trained them still, so... Like everyone was there in the room with me too. I had Rachel, Tiffany, Michelle. I had like 500 other people in the room. It was wild. Yeah, I really, it's not just me. Like, yeah, I had to do the turns, but there's so many other people that it took to make that happen, to make that 10 year old dream happen. Like it's, I'm forever thankful. So totally. I love that. Well, all right. So Dance Moms happened. Guinness Book of World Records happened. Lots of more opportunities started flooding your way. You were 10. So <laughs> I'm, I'm sure so many, like you, know, like you said, talk shows and TV appearances and guest star roles and so many things that you've been always hoping and wanting to achieve and have now, are now at, you know, the front of your career. Were you at that time, you know, from age 10 till however, but pre-conservatory, were you still competing? Were you still with your studio? Or did you have to kind of put that on the back burner because there were so many other opportunities coming your way? Oh, no. I, my mom was dedicated to competitions, and there was no way I was getting out of them. There, I definitely did a lot. I definitely did a lot less of competitions after my Guinness record because of my anxiety that I had after it now. Because like, as soon as I went to competitions, it was like, oh, you're Sophia Lucia. So like, either A, you were looking to beat, either A, you were looking to beat me, or B, the competitions, even if I was the best dancer, or whatever you want to say competitions we do like I've gotten perfect scores of competitions before and placed fourth because they said that I needed to be humbled yeah they were like she wins all the time so like let's give it to someone else so competitions either a were looking to do something because at that point 
this is kind of where it gets sticky. It's just like I would go to competitions. I I was always a nervous wreck because if I didn't win, it wasn't I didn't personally care. Like I I think dance competitions are very subjective and whatever is best that day to the judges, that's what's best. But at that point it became political. It didn't become about who was the best dancers. It became about who like can we do something to throw everyone's initial reactions off. Like that that's what it came about at the end of the day sometimes when I got more well known. And it put a lot of pressure on me, almost in a really bad way, because my mom was very, 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 very strict on me. And my mom felt pressure of the world as well. And like, there was blogs and like, like long blogs about if I didn't win on a competition, people would be like, well, it's a feeling she really worth everything that she has gotten. She didn't win at this one. So like, it was just like, there was so many other things now going into it. The competition wasn't competition anymore. It was stress. Like it, it was, it became unenjoyable. And at that point I had become worldly known. So like I couldn't get from dressing rooms to the competition stage without a bunch of people rushing in. I was at Showstoppers in 2013. That was right after all this had happened. And I had to go on 20 numbers late, which is not like normally you're disqualified because I couldn't get from the dressing room to the stage because no one would like everyone was asking for pictures. All two other rooms had stopped to come and watch me dance. And I was on a small stage. So they like literally no one was showing up for their group dances in the other two rooms because they all wanted to come watch me. There was the room was completely full. And I looked at my mom and 10 year old me literally was like, they're waiting to see me fail. So competitions just became horrible after that. Like I really didn't enjoy competitions after that because if I didn't do perfect, like if I didn't nail everything, it was on Instagram. It was like everyone was talking about it. Like I was the talk of the town in competition world, which I was so flattered to be. But at the same time, I was just a kid. And so I didn't know how to handle it because I had a lot of pressure from my mom to be perfect. My mom is a perfectionist. My mom expects the best for me. She was very hard on me, very hard. And so I have her yipping in my ear. I have my dance teachers trying to calm me down. I have the weight of the world being like, let's leave Sophia fail. <laughs> like that's how it felt. So competition became very difficult for me because there was no space to mess up. And, and so when I was 11 years old, I had competed only at convention besides, I think, Hall of Fame. That year, I only competed at convention because I was trying to win Best Dancer at the Dance Awards. I won Best Dancer at the Dance Awards, and I traveled to break the floor for the whole next year. I didn't compete when I was 12 because I was traveling every single weekend with break the floor as an assistant. And so that was interesting because I was performing solos every weekend. And that was honestly a new level of, a whole new level of pressure that I had never felt before because break the floor is such a huge name and is one of the best best people like that production company in general is just one of the best and I love Gil who owns it and I look up to all the teachers who are on staff but they they were very tough on me as in what they like what they expected from me and so I was working to the bone at that point I was training every single day of the week then traveling and then assisting Friday Saturday Sunday and I would I would just be assisting me and Michael also like all day on Sunday, which is the most tiring classes and you have to give your all to me and Michael. And she never let any dance awards assistant assist her until me, really. So it was a huge deal that she allowed me to assist her in her mini junior teen and senior class because that was never known. And so I had had oh I always had her on Sunday and I had to comp- I had to perform my solo right after. <laughs> oh I was just gosh. exhausted. Like yeah. you're dancing on concrete. I was, you know, before, like on Saturday, I was assisting Teddy, I was assisting Nick, I was like, there's like Travis, Stacy, Jason, like they all expected me to be on my game. So by the time I went to go perform my solo, which everyone had their video cameras up in the audience and it was on a live stream and 
fan pages and all this kind of stuff would be tuning in to watch my live stream every single weekend. I was just exhausted and I couldn't push through. So my solos had really changed that year because I was like, no more turn. I can't do it. Like I was like, we need to make these solos a lot easier because I can't, like my body can't handle it. I had shin splints. I had like major anxiety. I had all these things that I had never had to deal with before. So that whole year was just like, I was on cloud nine because I had finally won dance awards and I was able to assist all these people who do all the amazing jobs in the industry, but I had never felt so tired and so burnt out. So after that, I was like, I need a break. And Mia Michael kind of took me under her wing that whole year because she was working on jump at the time. I had the opportunity to perform with a ballet company in Poland, and they all trained at the ballet conservatory that I ended up moving to the next year. I moved myself to Arizona, and I didn't really know if I wanted to move, and I didn't know if I wanted to be all in ballet, and me and Michael had sat me down at Dancer Palooza. We had lunch together, and she sat there, and she was like, you're going to Arizona. I was like, Why? I don't want to, like, I was like, I can't assist you. Like, I won't be able to go to New York. I won't be able to train with you. Like, this, like, it's very serious. And she was like, you need ballet and you're going. And I was like, okay, me and Michael says I'm going to a ballet conservatory. That's, that's the <laughs> I guess you do what so, me and Michael says. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And my mom was like, because my mom had wanted me to go, but she was like, Sophia needs to hear it from another person. So right, she had right. let all the break the floor people come to me and was like, what do you want to do? Like, what is, what is your goal for the next year? And I, I honestly didn't have one. Like I was really confused on where I was going to go because competition dance just didn't seem like the right fit anymore because I had already done it. Like I had already won all the competitions that I wanted to do. And I felt like I was working in the industry. So I was almost unfair to other people who wanted to compete because I was quote unquote, a professional dancer already. It just didn't feel like the right fit. So then I went to ballet school and I, ended up doing ballet competitions and everything. And I ended up achieving everything that I wanted to do in the ballet world. And when I thought it was going to take me from 13 to 18 to do, I got all like by the end of, by the end of that year that I lived there, I went to Varna IBC, which is the oldest, most prestigious ballet competition in the world. And I was the youngest competitor they've ever had. I was there as a non-competing partner because I was too young, but you still get judged. Like if you're a non-competing partner, you still get judged. My dance partner and I were there and we were like the first USA couple to win in a while like it was it's like the Olympics of dance and I had only trained in ballet I think for 10 months I only trained in that like on point for 10 months at a time and here I am doing swam lake and like all these pata does and like ridiculously hard things and after Varna I had all of my dream companies offer me to come and be a part of their their studio like their studio companies which is just wild and so I was like, I was so excited, but I was so disappointed because I was like, I'm only 13. Like I had just moved states and I was not about ready to move countries. Without right. Parents, like I thought I was going to stay here for another four years and like have some stability. <laughs> have some stability. At the time I had just like started dating someone. I had never dated anyone in my life. It was like a very like first crush type of thing. It was like my, so I just wanted like, I just wanted time to be normal. Like I was like, I feel like now that I have achieved this, I can kind of chill for a minute, do some things that are normal, have a little bit more of a normal life, infuse your dance, have more balance and keep it up. But then that didn't happen. So after I went to Varna, I had directly booked a movie, which was amazing. It was like I had never even dreamed about that because I had never acted really, truly. Like I had never had acting experience and I booked like the lead in a Hallmark movie. So I was like, oh. This is the break I wanted, guys. Like, no dance for me for a while. Yeah, it's <laughs> um, perfect. And I, it's perfect. And I had, I 
I had never had so much fun in my entire life. Like the movie that I did for Hallmark is ballet and fused with the Nutcracker Christmas. So I do dance in the movie, but I was, I think we shot the dance scenes in one week and then everything else was just normal. So I was living in Toronto for two months. Cool. Just like chilling, like having the time of my life and having an experience that I never had before. And so it kind of opened my eyes to things that I had never experienced. And I was like, oh, like my whole identity is dance and dance competitions. And so I had to like kind of sit back and figure out what I wanted to do after I got home. And I didn't want to be in Arizona anymore. I wanted to be home with my family. Like I really had missed that. And I had begged my mom very, very abruptly after I came back from Toronto. And she was like, all right, dance competitions, here we go. Like I was about to like go back into the dance competition world. That's what my mom wanted for me. How old were you at this time? 14. So when, so Guinness Record was when I was 10, 11 years old is when I won Break the Floor, toured Break the Floor when I was 12, moved to Arizona when I was 12, moved home from Arizona when I was 14. Wow. That's Thank the time you break. for the timeline. That makes sense. I'm following. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're a great storyteller. I'm yes. like, yeah, I'm with you. I've got, I've got where we are. Yeah. Oh, perfect. Yay. Sorry. I talk a lot. I don't no, know. No, we love, that's job. what We're this happy. is about. This is great. Um, <laughs> perfect. So when I got home from, I had like, just quit a ballet school I was like no ballet I I had a lot of really scary things and grown-up things happen to me that you think only happen in the movies about ballet but have happened to me and I came home very 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 unhealthy mentally and physically and I just wanted a break my mom put me back into a ballet school that was an hour and a half away from her house so we have a drive to there I mean I drive to Orange County from San Diego every single day and I was having the same I was on the same schedule as I was when I was 10 and 11 12 and I just couldn't do it my mom was like you're gonna do it you're gonna push through this year and when you're 15 you can have a break my mom signed me up for all of these competitions we're talking like car showstoppers star power star band like all these amazing competitions that have been so kind to me since I was a young age jump Nubo 24 seven like she was like you're gonna win best dancer again I'm like this is my mom so I'm like all right I trust you whatever I don't really want to do this so like okay and all all the competitions within a month he mailed her and had said like hi Jackie and Sophia we love you we hope you guys are good unfortunately we cannot have Sophia compete we can have her perform as a guest at our competitions but we cannot have her compete it is unfair for other people competing and um, people are pulling out of our competitions because they do not want to compete against your daughter and they said your daughter is your daughter is a professional dancer she shouldn't be allowed to compete so either a you guys can still pay and be education only or be a guest star and come before oh my gosh which of course they wanted the guest star you know so yeah so competitions had contacted my mom and basically were like she's she's too professional to compete and I understand, like, I was like, like, I was so happy for a lot of, <laughs> a lot of different reasons. It made me feel so sad that people like I, I've, I had seen it at competitions before, but I always just didn't, I never thought that highly of myself. So I just didn't think it was me. I thought it was something else. Because girls who would go on before me or after me would like literally making like making themselves sick or like have a freak out before they went on after me or before like they would, it was always the two before like one after me or on. And I never had flattered myself that much. Like, oh, it's me, guys. Like, it's, it's me. Look at me. Like, I never thought about that. Like, I don't, I don't think that I, I grew up in a very, very, very humbling household where if nothing was perfect, like, it wasn't good. So I didn't know I was a good dancer until I was, like, 16. And I had quit dance for a year. And I had went back and watched everything. And I yeah. was like, oh. I was like, oh, okay. 
I can I can I can kind of understand now, but like before I just didn't know. So I just felt really sad, and I felt really bad that I had made other kids feel like they couldn't have a shot at competing or whatever the competitions had said. It like honestly made me very sad because I never wanted to take away someone else's competition experience because I'm sure it was a lot happier than mine, <laughs> and I just always felt really bad about that. And I I understood like I understood where the competitions were coming from, and of course my mom was like, "That doesn't make any sense." And <laughs> I could sit back. Really and does. I was, like, it's oh, fine. I, just, I was like, I just. Yeah, like I just I just finished being a lead in a Hallmark movie. Like I just I have achieved everything that I've wanted in four years. Right. Every there was not one dance job that I had sat there and was like, Mom, Dad, dance teachers, like this is my goal. I want to book this job because I had done everything and right. everything that I wanted to at least. And so, and I'm a very goal oriented person. And so I was sitting there almost 15, being like. Like, I don't know how to move forward. Like, I, I don't like competition dance. That's obviously not an option anymore, mm-hmm. which I understand. I don't want to be a ballerina. I don't want to be in the ballet industry. I saw a lot of dark things while I was in it. And I don't ever want to go back. I was still recovering from a lot of the things I had to go through. And I was like, I just don't know if I, at that point, I was like dancers. And this is, this is, I applaud dancers who can do this. And I did it. And I just am not this kind of person. And I never, ever want to sound like I'm ungrateful or whatever. But I, at that point, my mom had asked me, like, do you want to be the star? Or do you want to be dancing behind the star? And this is after I had just did my acting job. And I think I had a taste of what it felt like to be a lead. Right. I had said, I want to be the star. Like, I want to be an actress. I want to do acting and dance. I don't want to do the things I've already done. And she was like, okay. And so I think that is where it got interesting because I had been a background dancer my entire life and I know how hard they work. I know how many hours they have to work. And even from a young age, I know the pay of those dancers. Like, you know what I mean? So I like, there's so many things that go into it, but I was left at 15 with just being very unsure of like how to move forward in my dance career because I already reached the top because every year it was like, you did this. So now you have to do this what's the next level up? And so I reached this level where I was like, I just, I just don't know. Like I, I was, I was heartbroken because I had loved the craft for so long that I was so tired and I was really unsure of how to move forward. Yeah. So I took a break for a year. Good for you. Yeah. Thanks. I've been on a kid for a year and now I'm teaching. So it's just very different. What was your favorite part of being a normal, a normal teenager? Oh my gosh. This is going to sound, this is going to sound, <laughs> this is going to sound so weird and I understand, but I'm a total nerd. I love school. I I had never been able to, I was homeschooled my entire life and my parents had put me in a private school, private high school. And I went there for a year and I just arrived. I was like, if I didn't have a 4.0, I was mad. So I had to cry in the fact that I was going to get straight A's. And then I graduated high school as a junior and I've been in college ever since. So I went to college when I was 16. Yeah. I was curious when you kept, when you said something like, you know, when we were trying to schedule this and you were like, oh, I have a finals next week and my professor and things like that. And I was like, she's using college lingo. And is she in college? Like, because I knew you were 18. So you could definitely well be in college. But you went to college. You graduated early. And you, went, you started college at age 16. Yeah, I've been in college for two. I've been in college for almost two years. I'm almost done with my associate's degree to transfer. 
and I'm actually transferring as a double major for dance and psychology. So it's very exciting. Cool. <laughs> so I'm still keeping dance in my life. That's awesome. Yeah, so I'm, I'm still keeping dance in my life. It's a very prominent factor because it's just a part of me that I never, ever want to lose. And dance competitions for how many years you always end up going to college for dance if you really love it, you know? So I had always wanted to, and I love school. So I was like, let's double major. Let's do dance and let's do psych. Like those, those are my favorite two things combined. So. I'm really excited. Right now, as of right now, I'm just a psych major because I'm at a community college since I'm, I went to like college when I was 16, but I'm transferring to university in about six months. Uh, UCLA is my number one. Chapman University is my number two. And Juilliard or NYU is my number three. My boyfriend goes to U- University of San Diego, so I've been looking at that school as well. I don't know if they have a strong dance program yet, but I'm looking into that. <laughs> cool. Well, UCLA for sure and NYU and obviously Juilliard some good picks there and also great just liberal arts education. Yeah. And I, I just wanted a school that can offer me all the things that like, I know UCLA's dance department is very different from, I think what people initially like expect and college dance teams in general and dance programs are so interesting. I'm learning so much because I feel like I, I should know a lot more because of like how much I've done in the dance world, but like it, it works so differently. And I'm having to like kind of retrain myself for what dance, like colleges want for dance it's very different so I'm learning kind of how to navigate that from being a competition dancer to from being a ballerina to them being an actress like there's so many things that I'm kind of having to retrain myself for to understand how it works so I think it's awesome though and it's really cool it's just a different phase of my life yeah well and your I mean your background is so multifaceted and that that is what college dance programs want is somebody who is versatile and who has you know, lots of different lived experiences. And especially since you're, you know, hoping to double major in psychology, like, you know, you've, you've been through the psychological ringer, you know, in your, in your short 18 years on this earth. So I think you're probably pretty well poised to do anything, you know, you know, with, with those two things. Thanks so much, guys. I appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. (laughs) And I know that you said that, like, you're teaching now too. Is that, is that true? It is true. I, this over the past, I think when I was when I turned seventeen and I was starting to train like fully in dance again, like I went back on a, dan- a huge dance schedule and I was dancing more than I have in a while. And I just had found like a, a new love for it and a new passion that I had lost for a while. I had parents always being like, "Can you teach my daughter private so I can teach classes?" Blah blah. And I just was like, "Well, I don't know if I'm gonna be good at it, but like sure." So I had started teaching my cousins, my little cousins. And I loved it. And from there, I started teaching other kids. And I now have a full-time job at a dance studio. And I'm rebuilding their lyrical and chess program right now. So. Cool. You better yes. do it. Yes. You go, girl. That's awesome. Yeah. And I mean. I love that. That's so great. Yeah. And it's awesome, too, because we were in person for a while. But because of COVID, we had just gone by. We just went back to virtual. So pretty much anyone can come take my class. which is awesome. All right, y'all. Did you hear that, listeners? (laughs) Come take Sophia Lutia's class on virtual Zoom. She's offering Zoom classes. And she's, as you just listened for the past hour, she's absolutely (laughs) spectacular. And I'm really excited for your teaching journey. I'm so happy to see that you found a passion for that. And I mean, you've truly built your resume (laughs) up, girl. I mean, oh my goodness. And in so many different ways. And and avenues as even with your acting credits and kind of getting a little taste of what that is and then reality television and ballet company and this and that I mean truly you you have such a well-versed resume to help you launch into your adult career I'm kind of curious to hear I know you're in school 
I know you're transferring and you're going to finish school. What are your goals post-college? Post-college, well, my main goal, and it's, it's a pipe dream that I know that, but I'm hoping that I can achieve it. I would love to be on like the main on a Netflix series or anything like a television series that incorporates dance somehow. I love acting. I, I love it so much, but I love it just as much as I love dance. And so I, I would love for the two to be combined. And so that's my goal out of college. And I have, I have this like eight year plan. <laughs> so I, because I, so because I went to college at 16, I can have a master's in psych by the time I'm 22. So I'm giving myself about four years to achieve four, three to four years, anything that I want with acting from like 22 to like 26. And if that doesn't go my way, which I'm very confident that it will, I'm a person that if I set my mind to something, I make it happen. It has to be, a, it's got to be a when, not an if. That's, that's the mentality I'm going into <laughs> it with. But say it doesn't out of a weird thing in the universe, I am planning on going back to school and finishing whatever degree I need to open up my own practice to be a sports psychologist. And hopefully, like, hopefully specializing in dancers. And I, I mean, I, I saw sports psychologists for years growing up. So I would love to help moms and daughters and dads, whoever, families, and especially dancers who need it and need kind of the guidance. And I think a lot of sports psychologists can understand and do as much research as they can to help you. But I've been through it. Like I've trained like an Olympic athlete. So I feel like that will make me very different if that's the path I choose to go. But sports psychology is very interesting to me. So I'm hoping to make that a reality as well by the time I'm 30. And then we can get married. Great. <laughs> but I can get married and then I can have kids later. But, <laughs> but career, career career, has to come from. I cannot believe that I just listened to an, an 18-year-old. I don't have a four-year plan. Like, I can't tell you. A two-year plan? What's a plan? I no know. Plan. <laughs> I've never made a plan and my life has just happened and you know I'm 31 now like you are so beyond your years with that mindset at 18 years old and I really do believe it especially you know it makes a lot of sense now after hearing your entire life story because so many things came so quickly to you your entire life you achieved all of these goals as a child uh way faster than you expected even your time at the conservatory you're like I thought I was going to spend four years here and I'm done in a year. Like now what? And, you know, you had, I think that that really matured you in in such a beautiful way because I I can't tell you, and I hope that there are young dancers listening to this podcast because it's inspiring to hear a dancer so young already know this is what my goal is. And I'm going to, I'm going to achieve this and I'm going to give myself this many years. And if I, if I don't make it, guess what? I'm going to go back to school and I'm going to do this. And you're looking at the long-term, like, your long-term <laughs> life, which I don't think any 18-year-old <laughs> ever thinks yeah. about, you know, because at 18, it's such, there's so many big life decisions to make at 18, which the prime, primary one is, where am I going to college, is what the the main question in most 18-year-olds' lives is, and yours was that at 16, and you're already ahead of the game. So now you're already planning the rest of your future, and I love that these these goals that you have set for yourself, and I totally agree I think that you're going to be absolutely successful in your acting career mixed with dance that's the beautiful thing about this crazy industry that we're in is that you can really incorporate all of your skills and talents the more versatile you are in different ways the more you'll work so if you want to be a dancer who acts or an actress who dances you can thank you yeah it's so funny that you mentioned that I plan because it's 
my entire life I couldn't plan anything. So I think as soon as I was like, let's sit down, let's let's regather everything that we want, let's put everything together. I was like, I'm planning this because I'm a huge planner. I really believe in astronomy, astrology sometimes, but I am a Virgo to a T and I just was like, we're planning. This is how it's gonna go. This is my time frame. And I think it, it has helped me be clear because I'm a I like I said earlier when we were talking about my dance career and stuff, I'm a very goal-oriented person. And I'm a, I was someone, when I was younger, would get very tired of things early. Like if I did a solo, like perfect on stage, like exactly how I wanted it, I was like, okay, that solo is done. No, well, like that, that's how I was. So once I achieved something once, I don't really want to do it again. So that's kind of why this, this, this goal, this eight-year plan is very interesting. Because it's like, I can't, I can only plan so far to happen. But I really appreciate your kind words. And I appreciate you guys letting me come on here and spill my entire life story. <laughs> yes. Well, it was, it was so interesting. And I, I just think that you're, you know, when you were talking about doing sports psychology, yes, please, 100,000%. You know how important that is to athletes and artists. And there's not enough of them out there. You know, there's not enough therapists and psychologists and psychiatrists who understand what we go through and especially people such as yourself high achieving at an early age perfectionist tendencies like we all have those as dancers i think but you know the the psychology of it and the access to help i think is detrimental to some people and they don't even realize that that's even a profession you could go into or a service you could seek out so i think that's really admirable and and you know you do have such a good kind of grasp on why it's necessary and why you want to pursue that. So I think that's so exciting. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, even if even if acting does go my way, I know that I'm going to finish whatever degree I need and education I need to become one just because I feel like say I do get say I do reach that goal of being an actress, mixing with dance and whatever, I will have an extreme big an extreme platform that I've never been exposed to before. So I might as well spread my voice and my knowledge for good. And I think having a psychology background, I've had a background and I've had a lot more understanding of why things happen and how I'm feeling. Like I honestly wish this is some this is some very dumb, but I, I, I wish that I have a more of a psych understanding background because I think I would have handled a lot of situations very differently. Because if I say I through what I what I went through in Arizona or competitions now, I would have been able to understand the trauma that my brain is going through and, and kinda of understand the behavior patterns and why I do this or why I feel this a lot more and it would have been very helpful and it would have been very helpful for my mom to understand where I'm coming from and why I was acting the way I was and why I was feeling the way I was too. I think it would have been helpful for my mom, it would have been helpful for me. So if I can help and prevent, you know, things being a very, very, very deep and and traumatic for a child who's ten and is a prodigy or whatever and their family, like I would absolutely love it and it's would be amazing. So I think it's really important that dancers do take care of themselves and mentally, like physically too. They don't take very good care of themselves. They always are working so hard. They never recover or whatever. But like mentally as well, like mental checks, like understanding what you need, what you, what your body needs. Like I never listened to my body because I never had a chance to because my team was always on the go. But I think if parents also understood this too, I don't know, every parent is like how my mom was. But I think if parents understood actually what's going on when the dance like in the dance studio because like all my mom did was really drop me off and then she would understand that I had to do my work but the psychological trauma and everything that I had to go through between dance teachers and being in the dance studio for 10 hours 12 hours a day like there's a lot of things that I think parents can understand surface level but will never fully be able to understand until they do it themselves 
And so I think if someone with a psychology background used their voice to kind of stand up and like be like, hey, like this is this is what I went through. This is what I know. This is what I can help you with. I think it would be fantastic. And I think it's something that the dance world kind of needs. So hopefully when I have all of my education and fully can comprehend and give people knowledgeable advice, I can be that person for the dance world and the dance community and for like the 10 year olds that are going to be on the rise. Like I would love, I would have loved to have a person like that for me. So I'm hoping to do that that way for a lot of people. We would like to send a huge thank you to Sophia Lucia for taking time to chat with us today on the pod. If you'd like to stay up to date with Sophia, you can follow her on Instagram at underscore Sophia Lucia. Do you have a guest in mind that you would like to hear on one of our upcoming Spotlight interview episodes? We would love to know who you'd like to see featured next. Shoot us an email at podcast at impactdanceadjudicators.com to let us know your favorite and most inspiring dancers, teachers, and choreographers who are making an impact in the competitive dance world. If you haven't subscribed to Making the Impact, be sure to head over to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and Amazon Podcasts to stay up to date with our weekly episodes throughout the dance season. We release a new episode every Thursday. We just wrapped our latest virtual solo competition, and if you missed out, don't worry. We have more solo and group events coming your way so soon. Our next IDA virtual competition event will have registration open starting on February 15th, 2021, with our Top 20 Challenge live stream scheduled for Sunday, March 28th. Mark your calendars and head to our website now to learn more about our virtual competition events at impactdanceadjudicators.com slash virtual competition. Season two of Making the Impact is full of new hot topics, listener questions, and interviews with the pros. Coming up in the next few weeks, topics include non-performance career options for dancers, presentation for the competitive stage, and judging preferences. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, keep dancing.